Hey guys, Kinsey here. I hope you've had a good week, or it may be more accurate to say a thoughtful or humbling or prayerful week. Counting down our five most listened to episodes of the Brave Marriage Podcast, today's is originally episode number 27, How Our Childhood Roles Impact Our Marriages. So this is the fourth most listened to episode of the podcast, and it comes from our Family of Origin series, which included episodes 26 through 30. Now, this was a really popular series, and it sort of surprised me, even though it probably shouldn't have, but all of those episodes flow together, so be sure to go back and take a listen. And a few quick updates. In this episode, I mentioned downloading the Family of Origin worksheet at bravemarriage.com family, and I want you to know that that is still available. So feel free to take advantage of that today if you haven't before. But I also mentioned being able to follow me on Instagram, and I wanted to be sure you knew up front that I no longer have Instagram. In fact, I'm coming up on a year of being completely off of social media, and I haven't announced this on the podcast. I haven't really known how to talk about it with you yet or how to explain my reasonings for doing so. Although that will likely be a future episode, I may bring Evan on the podcast to talk about that with you. But just know if you try to find me on social, you won't be able to, and that is why. But for those of you who are still on social, I would so appreciate you sharing these episodes with your friends and followers so that they can benefit from these episodes as well. Just this week, I had a premarital couple decide to do Wedwell, my premarital coaching program, because someone had shared the podcast with them, and it had sparked really good conversation between this person and their fiancé. So by you sharing by word of mouth or on social, that helps your couple friends have good conversations that will hopefully be enriching to their marriages as well. Finally, if you haven't heard, I am doing a giveaway of several Amazon gift cards for ratings and reviews of the podcast. So for those of you who listen to Apple Podcasts, which I'm learning more and more of you actually use Spotify rather than Apple Podcasts. So that is good for me to know. But you can also earn entries by clicking on the Google form. That link will be in the episode show notes to ask your relationship questions because I'm really thinking about how to move forward with the podcast and changing things up a little bit potentially, but this fall we'll be doing a whole series of just questions and answers that you guys have written in and asked. So I would love for you to ask your questions there. And over the past couple of weeks, I have had struggles (laughs) linking that form from my web hosting platform and then it showing up on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So this week I made sure to go in and make sure that link was available to you all. I apologize for that error in the past couple of weeks. So if you tried before and you couldn't, please check it out now, ask your questions, leave your ratings and reviews, and be entered for your chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. All right, guys, have a great week. Here is how our childhood roles impact our marriages. Hey friends, welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dzinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach, and this is a podcast for couples like yourselves who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. Last week, we talked about the roles we play in childhood, and today we're going to be talking about how those roles and their tendencies 
impact our marriages today. Now, I heard from some of you that last week's episode brought up interesting conversation for you and your spouse, and I have a feeling today's episode may do the same. Before we dive in today, this episode is brought to you by my free research-based relationship quiz. Have you ever wanted a professional insider's look at your relationship? Well, I've created a short quiz that lets you in on the state of your relationship based on four different components of marital health. After taking the quiz, you'll receive an immediate score, plus a description of your score will be sent straight to your inbox, followed by one action step, next steps to take, and one prayer for your marriage. To get in on that free resource, just visit bravemarriage.com quiz. Again, that's bravemarriage.com quiz. When we partner up as adults, when we start dating, our perception of our partner begins as a blank slate. But as we begin to spend time with this potential partner, our perception of this person begins to take shape. We begin to make judgments about this person's personality, character, positive and negative qualities. But all we're really seeing in the beginning is what that person presents to the world and presents to us, right? And so if that person has qualities we admire, if they love us well, and if we can see a lasting future with them, we ultimately marry that person if they've concluded the same thing that we have, right? And part of what we see from the beginning is the role that person played in their family of origin, whether we know that's what we're seeing or not. And we become attracted to that quality within them, that part of them, because in some way, on a subconscious level, it complements well the role we played in our family of origin. But because we tend to put our best foot forward, and because the romantic stage of love tends to filter the lens through which we see our partners, we're totally caught off guard when in marriage, those roles that were once so attractive to us have the potential to become annoyances if we begin to perceive those traits negatively. So as we make the transition from baby love to grown-up love, as we talked about in the transition episodes, It's our job as spouses to see our spouses for who they truly are, not who we want them to be, not filtering out the bad, and not ignoring the good. But developing a more well-rounded understanding of our spouse, where they came from, and how that affects both them and our relationships. So what I want to do is walk you through how the roles we talked about last week on episode 26 impact our marriages today. And in doing so, what I hope to do for you is give you a little bit of insight into yourself as a spouse as you identify with your particular role. And once we do that and you identify your negative tendencies, not your spouse's, okay, then we'll talk about what we need to do or become aware of within our particular role. So if you identified yourself last week as the entertainer, your spouse most likely married you in part for your charm, your humor, for your talent or your wit. You're probably someone who is fun, outgoing, and brings life to the party. But when I'm working with couples, a common complaint I hear from spouses who are married to entertainers is he or she doesn't know when to turn it off. My spouse doesn't take anything seriously. He or she acts aloof or plays off my concerns with humor, and I'm tired of it. Okay, so what's happened here is the spouse of the entertainer is beginning to see how the aspects of the entertainer that they were first attracted to are also learned behaviors 
that the entertainer has taken on to cope with life, first in their family of origin and now in their own marriage. Because when it comes to our most significant relationships, whether that be our families of origin or our families of creation, we relate how we've been conditioned to relate. We cope how we've been conditioned to cope. So until a person becomes aware of how they relate, how they cope with stress, negative emotion, or relational distress, they'll continue to operate in the way that they always have, regardless of the consequences for their marriage. So, spouses of entertainers, remember that your partner's fun, lightheartedness, adventure is what drew you to your spouse in the first place. Your spouse is likely to liven up your marriage in ways that you wouldn't naturally. And to my entertainers listening, what I want you to begin to recognize is when you use humor or your entertaining role from childhood to avoid conflict or to minimize your feelings in marriage. And I want you to get curious about what it is that you were afraid of or perhaps felt uncomfortable with in that moment. Because listen, I know there's more to you than meets the eye. You can feel hard things, despite what your body or your brain may be telling you. You have depth and substance, and your marriage needs all of you, not just the role you played in childhood. If you identify as the peacekeeper, it's likely that your spouse was attracted to your easygoingness, your laid-backness, your gentleness, or demure. You're probably someone who stays away from drama and conflict, which seems great initially, right? But in marriage, this can be detrimental. And here's why. Because as long as the peacekeeper is content to play the supporting role in marriage, rather than bringing his or her full self to the marriage, the spouse of the peacekeeper is none the wiser. Unwittingly, what happens is, the spouse of the peacekeeper takes up most of the room in the relationship, and even if the peacekeeper begins to realize it, his or her behavior is still driven by a desire to avoid conflict. Essentially, they replicate the role they played in their family of origin. So the spouse of the peacekeeper has no idea that this is an unhealthy arrangement. And neither spouse complains about this dynamic until one or both of them gains awareness around what's happening in the marriage. Once this happens, a common complaint I hear from spouses is, my husband or wife won't do anything. It doesn't matter how much I yell or complain or criticize or try to get a rise. I can't get a reaction out of my spouse, and I feel like he or she doesn't care. What's happening here is that eventually, the spouse who was once attracted to someone who was content to be in the background realizes that actually they'd like their partner to be an active participant in the relationship. And so while Keeping the peace is certainly an attractive quality. What one eventually discovers is that though it may have served the family of origin in some way, given their particular dynamic, it certainly doesn't serve a marriage when it comes to emotional intimacy. So, spouses of peacekeepers, it's important that you begin to help draw out the best in your spouse. Ask them about their dreams, their fears, their desires. Because given their role that they played in their family of origin, it's possible that they're just following your dreams, that they're acting in accordance with what you want. So encourage them to also bring their full selves to the table. And to my peacekeepers, 
begin to ask yourself what you want. I know for some of you, you may not have been asked that very often growing up, and that can make it hard to know what you want as an adult or to contribute to decision-making. So if you're listening right now and thinking, but what I want is the best for my spouse, or I simply want what my spouse wants, while that may be true, that's only half true. That's the response you've been conditioned to have, but I promise you have your own thoughts and feelings and fears and desires, and they are valuable and important to your marriage. If you identify as the role model, your spouse was probably attracted to your goodness or your integrity, perhaps how confident or successful you appear. But once those rose-colored glasses begin to fade for the partner of the role model, they may begin to perceive the person they married as close-minded or judgmental, perfectionistic, or even critical. See, role models, when entrenched in their childhood role, can pay a high price personally for trying to maintain such high standards. And spouses, whether they realize it or not, begin to get a behind-the-scenes look at the pressure role models feel to be thought well of. The most common complaint I hear from spouses of role models in my practice is, I just feel like I can't do anything right. It seems like no matter what I do, it's never good enough for my partner. And what's happened here is that the spouse has realized that the high standards aren't just self-assigned. They're also subconsciously assigned to the relationship. So, spouses of role models, remember their hearts. Remember what attracted you to them in the first place and help them begin to show themselves grace by showing grace to them. And to the role models listening, you are enough. You don't have to do more, be more, or self-correct more in order for your spouse to love you. And once you know this and believe it deeply, you'll be able to show yourself a bit more grace and you'll be able to let others off the hook. Because as you've heard me say before, it's grace, not striving, that leads any of us to change for the better. If you identified yourself last week as the baby, it's likely that your spouse was attracted to you in part for your charm, your ability to woo, or perhaps your affectionate nature. You're probably someone who is admiring or doting in relationship, and who doesn't want that, right? But in time, again, as those rose-colored glasses fade, the spouse of the baby begins to realize that, while perhaps this seems sweet in a dating relationship, something feels off about it in marriage. Now, if you think you're married to the baby, it's equally important to understand that you may have unknowingly taken on or perpetuated a caretaker role in your significant other's life. If you grew up taking care of siblings or your own parents, or if you have a tendency to fix things, your role may play right into your spouse's. But in marriage counseling, what I often hear from the spouse of the baby is something timid and kind of hesitant like this. I don't know how to say this, but I feel like my spouse depends too much on me. I'm afraid if I weren't around, he or she wouldn't know what to do with themselves. And the reason the partner feels this is because the more he or she plays into that caretaking role, the more the baby plays the baby role. Crazy how that happens. So, spouses of the baby, what your spouse needs more than anything is for you to empower them, 
for you to encourage your spouse in stepping up in his or her own life, to let your spouse know that he or she is capable and competent, and then be patient as you give your spouse room to grow. And to the baby listening, you are capable. You may not have been given a chance in your family of origin to realize that, but you are. And you can be an equally contributing partner to your marriage. But your marriage was meant for so much more than a one-sided thing. But the two of you won't live into more than that if you don't begin to challenge your own perception of yourself because there's more to you than you know. Lastly, if you identified yourself as a fixer, your spouse most likely married you in part for your nurturing tendencies to protect or provide or to care. You're probably someone who cares deeply about those you love in your relationships. Which, again, who doesn't want that? But a common complaint I hear from spouses of male fixers, remember we called them the hero, is my spouse never listens. He's already made up his mind before even hearing what I have to say. He doesn't understand me and he doesn't even care. In a common complaint I hear from spouses of female fixers, who we called peacemakers, is she won't quit nagging me. I can't do anything without her thinking she knows best. Now, wait a minute. If couples were once so attracted to each other's nurturing or protective tendencies, why does this dynamic play out? Because this is the only role the fixer has ever played, he or she doesn't necessarily know how to do anything else relationally. Because it would seem that problem-solving or caretaking is always the most effective and best answer, right? Well, let me ask you. How well does trying to problem-solve your spouse's every complaint work for you in your marriage? How well does nagging your spouse create lasting change? See, as humans, we tend to do more of the same, more of what we already know how to do, instead of consciously choosing what's best for our relationships. Because oftentimes, we're not aware enough to know we need to change, or if we are, we don't know what to do differently. So, to spouses of fixers, remember why you married the person you did and how helpful those qualities can be. And to my fixers, you are more than your ability to problem-solve or even take care of others. You are not defined by your ability to fix things. Therefore, you don't have to all the time. Be sure to listen to understand your spouse and simply be present with them rather than listening to try and fix. And know that it's okay to ask for help. Give your spouse a chance to show up for you for once because knowing how to be helped, not just helping, is what makes the difference between a one-sided marriage and a truly intimate one. All right, you guys, I hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions, feel free to email me or DM me on Instagram at Brave Marriage Podcast. Your action step for today is to answer a few specific questions about today's episode. To help you do that, I've created a free four-page PDF with seven questions per episode to answer as we wrap up our conversation on family of origin issues. To get that free resource, just visit bravemarriage.com slash family, bravemarriage.com slash family. And my prayer for your marriage this week is for self-awareness, that each of you would reflect on yourself, not your spouse, and that self-awareness would lead to humility, 
humility to vulnerability, and vulnerability to true intimacy and mutual empowerment. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile 